Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here at the Center for Naval Analysis in Northern Virginia to talk to my friend Sam Bendet, who's a, a part of the Russia team here at uh, CNA, also a, uh, a fellow uh, who studies Russia at the American Foreign Policy Council uh, as well. Uh, so Sam, when you and I talked, it was a little bit after the, uh, the big uh, annual victory parade. Right. Uh, we talked about the history of the event, but also the gadgets that uh, Russia had unveiled there. Right. Uh, and, and let's talk about uh, something, though, that's the big internet buzz before we go to follow up on what one of the, 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 the glaring failures. Uh, but I mean, something that Russia is always willing to learn from, right? I mean, these projects fail for a long time until they succeed. But let's talk about the big internet buzz is the Hunter uh, or a Hoytnik uh, UAV, uh, UAV uh, looks a little bit like a cross, like an X-47 or the Neuron. Tell us a little bit about the buzz, the conversation that surrounds the vehicle and what Russia wants to do, do with uh, the system, which isn't necessarily all that new. This design is supposed to plug a gaping hole in Russia's medium altitude, high altitude, long endurance UAVs, a heavy UAV. Uh, this design has been on and off uh, since about 2009. Uh, it was originally taken on by MIG Design Bureau, and then now it's been taken over by Suhoi Design Bureau, but it's been almost a decade. And so at this point, Suhoi has to show something. So the buzz generated uh, probably means that at some point the actual design would be unveiled in the near future. For now, uh, the image shown um, will approximate what this UAV will look like. It's supposed to be up to 20 tons in weight. It's supposed to fly at 1,000 kilometers an hour, so almost Mach 1. And so um, it is supposed to be a high-tech uh, device, high-tech technological achievement. But again, it's been around since, uh, its design has been around since 2009, so it's time to show something. Um, when it comes to uh, other capabilities, when, you know, when folks talk about long endurance, um, the speed is probably a little bit higher than a lot of people would have expected. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about what kind of range and payload. 20 tons is a, is a pretty meaty uh, airplane. Uh, what kind of range and payload is out there in, in the public domain uh, so that folks can wrap their minds around the kind of capability this is going to be delivering? So if this technology actually works the way it's supposed to. If this UAV will in fact be 20 tons in weight, it could probably take up to several tons in um, useful weight. So uh, rockets, missiles, bombs, maybe other equipment. Its range probably will be in several thousand kilometers. It's supposed to be um, a long range system, much like the American X-47 and other European devices that look similar, much like the technologies that China is developing. Again, this is something that Russia currently lacks, and it's something that Russia is trying to uh, catch up on. And um, uh, tell us a little bit uh, about the DNA of the airplane, because uh, Russia has been working on fifth-generation uh, aircraft, uh, T-50 being a very prominent example of that. Right. How much T-50 is in this design? Well, supposedly, according to uh, the social media and according to this open-source information, this update of Ahotnik UAV borrows heavily from the T-50 stealthy design. So uh, Russian experience with building and designing its own stealth aircraft is going to be incorporated into this UAV. Do you think that the unveiling will happen later this year at the, the big arms fair that's going to be in Moscow? You know, that's a good question. A lot of these uh, unveilings, a lot of news, a lot of, um, a lot of useful information usually uh, breaks uh, right around major exhibitions and major shows. So possibly around um, Army 2018 in August, maybe later. Russians are citing uh, 2019 and 2020 as the major accomplishment years, the years when um, some of their um, 
technologies that they're working on are supposed to be unveiled. So if not this year, then maybe next year. Uh, let's go to uh, one of the spectacular fails. Uh, it's, not, it's not often that uh, a vehicle uh, gets panned sort of very, very publicly by very senior uh, analysts, and that's the case with the Uran 9. Uh, refresh our audience about what uh, the vehicle is uh, and what uh, the big problem is and why you've decided to give it a rather uh, clever nickname. <laughs> Well, um, so Uran-9, unmanned ground vehicle, is Russia's, one of Russia's uh, two largest combat unmanned ground vehicles, or UGVs. It was designed with a 30-millimeter cannon, uh, various other weapons, machine guns. It's supposed to be a heavy UGV that is primed for battle. It was designed for battlefield conditions, and it's not surprising that eventually Russians took it to Syria um, under supposedly strict veil of secrecy to try and test it out in actual combat conditions. Uh, Uran 9 was shown at the May Day Victory Parade this year. Um, it's been around uh, for a couple of years now, and again, it was one of the crowning achievements of uh, Russian um, UGV industry. Unfortunately, um, in Syria, it turned into a complete and total cluster truck. Uh, it was a complete, um, the UGV suffered a complete failure in all of its key and vital systems. So everything from tracks to suspension to the firing mechanisms, the cannon would fire only when the vehicle was stationary. After all, why design a moving vehicle if you're only going to fire it when you're stationary? It's ISR, it's intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance equipment did not work properly. The range of this UGV uh, is supposed to be several kilometers, so about two miles between the operator and the actual UGV. But they're also designed to operate in teams, and when they operate in teams, the range is extended up to six kilometers or approximately four miles. So that's a sizable distance. However, as, um, as official news stated it, um, this UGV's range was limited to about 500 meters or so, so no more than half a kilometer. So that's a disturbingly short distance between the operator and an actual UGV. An operator cannot be that close to actual combat. That's the whole point of designing unmanned systems, is to remove the soldiers, remove the operators from actual battle, and let the unmanned vehicle itself do the fighting. Um, why, why this degree of, of openness when it comes to a failure like this? Because um, the, the government is in some ways very open and in some ways very, very closed. Why this kind of degree of openness in, in terms of this failure? And to have some of Russia's top security analysts you know, very, very publicly criticizing the program. Well, that's a good question. I was actually wondering that myself. I think um, MOD, Russian Ministry of Defense, is very serious about these types of developments. And I think this was, in a way, a message to the industry, because the industry, the military-industrial complex, can talk up their achievements. They can present their unmanned systems um, basically as a fait accompli. Um, and the expectation that would build around such a system is that it would be able to perform as designed. Well, uh, in battle, uh, things are different. So just as no plan survives the first contact with the enemy, uh, this unmanned system, this kind of unmanned system, may not actually survive actual combat as designed. And so maybe this was a very candid and open debate and discussion between the Ministry of Defense, the end users, and the actual industry, the, um, uh, the factories and the corporations that build this and other similar unmanned ground vehicles. Let me ask you a broader industrial uh, base, industrial management question. You know, there's um, always this, uh, you know, dueling narratives of, you know, any closed system is not innovative uh, and, you know, a, a free enterprise system and free enterprise model is the right way to go. Um, and, and obviously the free enterprise model is, is a better way to go to on almost everything. But the Russian system has been one that's always been characterized, even in Soviet days, 
about competing companies and competing ideas. So you know, you you may have been stuck with a Ural truck or you know any manner of bad vehicles. Uh, but ultimately, when it came to the military systems, there was competition. There was competition right. between MIG and between Sukhoi, for example, or even on the submarine yards. There were competing designs and competing ideas, and occasionally ideas were taken from one yard and another guy who was better at building it built it. Talk to us a little bit about how Russia uses, even in a very state-controlled fashion, innovation you know, even among state-controlled companies, to keep advancing these. You know, as, as you mentioned, uh, with the Hunter UAV, or or even with with the uh, Uran system. Talk to us a little bit about that ecosystem that is uh, on which Russia relies to develop its systems. Well, innovation is now a very big part of the way Ministry of Defense operates. They understand that in order to modernize, in order to upgrade their system, in order to be truly effective, they have to kind of fail fast, fail cheap, fail easy, and move on to the next project that works. And so um, there's no more kind of this staid uh, enterprise that existed in Soviet times, especially with new and innovative technologies, such as unmanned systems, where developed moves very fast, where uh, the technological curve uh, is steeper and steeper basically every year. And so Russians are fine with letting a variety of uh, various industries and corporations design what can sometimes be seen as competing technology. So Uran-9 is the heaviest um, a UGV that so far has been tested in combat. There's another heavy UGV called Vichir, or Hurricane. Or, uh, or a thunderstorm. Um, that one is based on a BMP-3 chassis. That's even bigger than Iran 9. That one has its own companion UAVs. It's got uh, other systems. So far, it hasn't been tested in battle, and probably its designers are looking very closely at what happened to Iran 9 and what happened in actual uh, combat conditions in Syria. There are other mid-sized UGVs, such as Saratnik, Nirechta. There are slightly smaller platforms, uh, called Platforma M, for that matter, mm -hmm. and other unmanned systems designed not just for combat, but for, for example, demining and clearing, clearing uh, unexploded ordnance. So there's a variety of competition that exists, and MOD is willing to let this competition run um, essentially free for now. And uh, BMP, very reliable chassis, proven design. Exactly. Um, you know, you know what you're getting uh, in, in terms of in terms of that platform. So you use a, a novel. Um, uh, 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 adjective, I think it can best be said, uh, a, cl a cluster truck. <laughs> Tell us how you got to that. Well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, Uran 9 is a vehicle, so when a uh, system suffers so many failures um, that determine what this technology is, uh, you know, it's probably not a good thing. So in this case, and again, surprisingly so, uh, practically all key systems in Uran 9 failed from the weapons, to its uh, ISR surveillance equipment, to some of the key technology that makes this vehicle move. And again, it was very surprising to hear that a vehicle that supposedly went through state trials and uh, was tested at Russian ranges suddenly decided to break down to such a degree in combat conditions. Uh, and let me ask you one last naval question. Um, there isn't a senior NATO official that you don't talk to that doesn't raise the quietness of a new generation of Russian submarines. Right. Uh, we just had uh, Ina Eriksson uh, Sarida, Norway's uh, foreign minister, formerly Norway's the defense minister, uh, and speaking in town at two separate events underscored the quietness of this new generation of, of Russian submarine. Talking about, again, the importance of the GIUK uh, gap, the gap uh, the, the, the choke point, if you will, between the United Kingdom, Iceland, and, and Greenland. 
Um, talk to us a little bit about these submarines and the kind of capabilities and why they have U.S. Navy and NATO leaders so concerned. Well, actually, one of the Russian designs, such as Kilosub, um, has an electric uh, engine, and so it is designed to be quiet. It is designed to be uh, barely detectable. And so for years that submarine has been around. Uh, the next generation of Russian subs are built with quiet locomotion. They're built with technologies that would hide it from existing uh, radars and existing surveillance equipment. The next generation of subs is going to be equipped with unmanned systems as well, which may give these submarines a greater range and a greater surveillance capability. So uh, when it comes to submarines, this has been Russia's military strength for the last couple of decades, even as other um, technologies, other systems, other branches suffered um, uh, various losses uh, in the 90s after the end of the Cold War. So uh, Russian submarines are one of the strongest elements of its military. And so Russian submarine fleets should give other people pause when it comes to challenging Russia because these technologies are mature and these technologies are capable of uh, evading or challenging uh, American and NATO technological superiority. And they're also equipped with caliber uh, cruise missiles and other systems that give them uh, punch at, at range. Um, one last question. I mean, it's been a little while since the Swedish submarine incursion. That got uh, a lot of attention, right? In, in uh, the early 1980s, we had the Whiskey on the Rocks incident. So obviously, uh, you know, Swedes very sensitized to folks coming into their territorial waters. Um, you know, was that a large unmanned underwater vehicle at the end of the day? Because there has been speculation that it was a, a large diameter unmanned underwater vehicle or some such system. You know, is there any greater clarity over time that we have on what that incident was? Well, um, I don't have enough information on that. However, what I can tell you is that today Russians are going back to their Cold War drawing boards in order to design large unmanned underwater systems. So Russian news... Um, this week is full of um, information about the updates and upgrades to the status unmanned underwater vehicle, that they're now designing a large UUV unmanned underwater vehicle with, um, with a nuclear engine that will give it practically unlimited range. They're going back to designs from the 40s and 50s. Technology wasn't there to build such UUVs. Technology does exist today. And so Ongoing and future Russian projects dealing with unmanned underwater systems or other unmanned systems will benefit from the existing technological achievements and Russians' lesson learned in using various manned and unmanned devices over the last couple of decades. Sam Bendat of the Center for uh, Naval Analyses as well with the American Foreign Policy Council. Always a pleasure. Thanks very Always much, a Sam. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.